Please help me introduce Jeannie. Hi, I'm Jeannie, I'm a compulsive overeater. You know, I haven't been nervous very many times in my life, but I'm a little nervous today. I don't know why, but forget that. First of all, I want to thank Roy for asking me to speak. Uh, we booked this date about, about in February, and I knew that I was going to be abstinent, and I just knew it because I'm committed to my abstinence. I mean, you know, based upon what I do in program, there's a good chance of me being abstinent May 25th. And I want to welcome Mike, welcome Gemma, and happy birthday, Lene. Happy birthday, Atusa. Your miracles, you're an inspiration to me. We need you. We need newcomers. Because I was a newcomer once. I was a newcomer in June of 1989. Um, this is May. I'm coming up on 13 and three quarters years of recovery in Overeaters Anonymous. I'm maintaining between 120 and 130 pound weight loss. However, I did start my food time over last October. I want to be clear that everybody knows that. Because it is about the food in many ways. But I didn't gain any weight, but I still had to start the food over. If I didn't make food an issue, then I wouldn't make a food issue today, and I wouldn't be standing here tonight abstinent and speaking. So I want to get that clear. But I am maintaining 120 to 130-pound weight loss. My weight just kind of varies, you know, 5 to 7 pounds, and that's just the ebbs and tides of life. I'm not a carrot counter. I eat real food. I just abstain simply from obvious sugar and white flour and binging. That's, that's my abstinence. And um, I was born a compulsive overeater. Since I have some time, I'm going to tell you what it was like. But let me give the statistics before I move on. I probably weigh like in my mid-130s right now. I don't weigh myself a lot because traditionally I prefer to be my birth weight. So, uh, and and I'm, I'm not anorexic at all. I was just, I'm an eating machine. I weighed almost 260 pounds many times. I'm five foot eight, And there was a couple of times that I weighed 118 and before I found OA in 1989 in June, I gained and lost nearly 700 pounds, just up, down, in, out, doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, psychiatrists, nutritionists, fat farms, cosmetic surgeons. I had body parts cut off of me that I'm, I missed today. I'm sorry I had them. And I have artificial implants in me. They're not where women traditionally get artificial implants. It's just scary when you want to be thin and you have an unlimited checkbook. And I'm not independently wealthy. And I'm not born to the purple, but I always had a spectacular, well-paying career. I'm a businesswoman. I'm coming into my 32nd years in this career. So unlimited funds with a desire to get skinny and, you know, a very unhealthy doctor. And you get cut up a lot on the operating table. So needless to say, gaining and losing 700 pounds, I got skinny a lot. I was born in Pennsylvania. And um, out in the country where everybody eats a lot, but they work hard and they wear it off. I ate a lot, but I didn't work hard. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's this, this little tiny town. There was a film over 20 years ago called The Deer Hunter, quite a classic. And they filmed the movie The Deer Hunter very close to where I grew up, where you have 300-pound women dancing with 300-pound women at these big Polish weddings. You know, I loved it. Everybody kicks their shoes off. All the guys are in the corner with a keg, and the girls are out on the dance floor eating the cake. So, you know, guys, beer, women, eating. And so I grew up in that environment, and um, I had a great childhood, went to my grandfather's farm in the weekend. And the reason I'm telling you about my childhood is because I do not hold any person, place, thing, or idea responsible for my compulsive overeating disease. I believe I'm a compulsive overeater for about three reasons. One, I have an obsession of the mind with food. I think that eating a large pizza are going to make my troubles go away. That's obsession of the mind. 
Two, I have an allergy of the body, a physical allergy. When I want to have a candy bar, the normal world has one candy bar and they stop. When I want to have one candy bar, my body tells me to have 64 more. That's called allergy of the body. And number three, for the newcomers, which you will get down the line, I had a spiritual malady. I had a spiritual hole inside of me that needed to be filled. And therefore, I gained and lost 700 pounds. I didn't know that then, but I can tell you now. So I don't entertain any fantasies of going back and you know, confronting anybody that I'm a compulsive overeater. It's a waste of time for me, and my sponsor taught me that. I want to face life today as an adult woman. You know, I'll be 52 in July, and I just want to move on with my life and get better today. And uh, my sponsor, uh, thank God, he has a lot of, I mean, uh, my, not my sponsor, my, my Eskimo who brought me into program, his daughter wrote him a letter about how she screwed up his life. I mean, he screwed up her life, you know, this one little victim. And he said, yeah, I think I probably did screw up your life, but it's up to you to straighten it out. So no more victim for me. I could not do it because I could, I could be 260 size 24 today playing the perpetual little girl victim. Poor me, poor me. So my childhood was, you know, I just ate. I mean, people turned to drink, and I just turned to the food from day one. I can remember in my first communion in six, when you're six years old, first communion, little white plastic shoes, lace stockings, you know, little dress, white little lace dress. And I remember exactly what was served at. Can you imagine I'll be 52 and you have first communion at six? I remember that. And I go back to my hometown quite a bit now. I, I have a home back there, and, I, and I'm always up and down the streets, and they know me because I go back so frequently. And I'll wave, and I'll go, oh, my God, I just loved your wedding 25 years ago. And they go, oh, Jeannie, you have such a great memory. It must have been a spectacular wedding for you to remember that. I remember the food. I remember the damn wedding. I remember the food at all major events in my life. You know, And I judged all major events, not by what would happen, but how kind of, what kind of food they served and the quality of it. I mean, if you had the best food in the world, I don't care what kind of a wedding you had the best wedding in my mind so I left there and came to California and you know it's a progressive disease you know speaking of gaining and losing 700 pounds so when I was in high school I was like 30 pounds overweight now I don't know if any when, when I and I pull out my old pictures now and you know I have a distorted perception of my body and figure a surprise so well, I was only 30 pounds overweight in high school but I thought I looked like you know a whale and by the way when I was at my top weight 257 pounds people used to ask me for my autograph because they thought I was Mama Cass of Cass Elliot of the Mamas and Papas you know I had the long shaggy hair this is like mid 60s you know late 60s early 70s beads hanging in the doorway playing Janis Joplin you know all the incense burning you know big flowered moo and you know talk about Talk about left-handed compliment. They go, oh, you remind me of somebody. And I thought, Cheryl Teagues, because she was a, <laughs> Sandy, don't laugh that loud. And, so, and, you know, and she was a popular model in my day. But they go, oh, my God, you're Cass Elliot of the Mamas and Papas. I don't know whether to kiss them or kick them, you know. So, you know, so that was, um, I forgot my train of thought. Oh, so gaining and losing 700 pounds. I was overweight. It's, it's a progressive disease. Anybody sitting in here? just trying to get skinny and think they're going to graduate. Well, let me tell you my story. I lost 30 pounds and I gained 50. I lost 50 and I gained 70. I lost 70 and I gained 100. I lost 100 and I gained 120 more than once. And I do want to also, from my experience in about 13 years in program almost, the bulimics and the anorexics sitting here tonight, it's the same disease. It just manifests itself differently. Because when I weighed 118 for two years, 118 at 5'8", 
all body function stops. I was in big trouble. I'm not, I'm not anorexic. That was just a one-shot deal. My, my primary occupation in life is compulsive overeating. I mean, I was going to start a meeting called the EMs, which means eating machines. Because when I start, there's no stopping me. So um, it's the same, you know, for the, for the bulimic and the anorexic, so you don't get let out. I mean, I feel I've sponsored a few, and it's the same awful obsession with food. It's thin and beautiful does not mean well and healthy and well-balanced. It's awful. It's a horrible life. So, so I gained 120 pounds more than once. I became a nutritional wizard because I was able to write checks because of my career. I know a lot about nutrition. I, I can tell you, I can hold you spellbound till midnight tonight about all about nutrition. But you know what happened to me in June of 89 is I lost the power to apply any of that. doesn't matter what I know. I lost the power to apply it. And I was, not only was I 260 poison-spewing, angry witch, hating you, hating the world, I was a 118-pound poison-spewing, angry witch, hating you, hating the world. So, And I didn't know it then. It didn't matter where I was on the scale. It was my insides that were so messed up. And when I would white-knuckle it and stay at like 120 for nine months, that was the longest I ever stayed then, nine months. And just something for you people in the room that eat a lot, this light switch goes off, and I just have to eat, and I gain 100 pounds back. It's just something happens. I see a commercial. I go to a social function. I'm off and running. And so that's what I did. So I was this fat, pissed-off person or skinny. And, you know, I wasn't nice. I'm nicer. I'm very nice. I'm much nicer today than I was. But, I mean, I used to go through secretaries like paper towels. This girl's no wonder she called it sick half the time. She hated working for me, for God's sake. And so we would get, what do you have out here, Kelly girls, temp girls, what do you call them, you know, fill-ins. And I was on, it was a bad day. I'd be 260, hot, sweaty, angry, fat. Or eating, or I would be 120 angry, not eating. You know, there's one thing worse than a compulsive overeater than eating. It's what? It's not eating and having no steps. Just hide all the weapons. Hide the guns, you know? So I would come in on Monday morning, like, with the capes on. You know, the capes, Cruella DeVille, you know, the big capes coming down the hallway. And people would, like, dive under their desks. Because I was a, and I would go to my manager, and I'd see this temp girl. I'd say, I hate her earrings. I want her gone. Get rid of her. I don't care. She's the best secretary in the world. I want her gone. Tell you what, Mr. Manager, I'm going to lunch at noon. And when I come back, she's gone or I'm gone. Do you understand that? She was always gone because I was very powerful in that office. Why? Because I was on a diet. I was angry and I didn't know how to channel anything or I was 260. And these girls were like working their way through school. Now, this is like 20 years ago. And I always have this horrible vision. Talk about a men's. That they're going to wheel me into surgery someday in an emergency basis. And there's going to be, yeah, there's going to be a female surgeon there looking down going, remember when I worked for you and you got me fired in 1970 so-and-so? And I get to go, well, I'm sorry, I can do it. Can I do a ninth stint before you open me up? <laughs> I always have that fantasy. But, um, you know, it's so that I made those amends in, a, in the proper manner with the help of a sponsor. And um, on the other hand, after I got her fired, I could not cross the street like five minutes later to mail a letter because I flip-flopped. I just had such, I was a piece of crap around which the world evolved. Did you ever hear that? I was an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. I would get people fired, cause scenes in stores. You see them out there now, like, get me the manager. Do you know who I am? Well, of course they know who I am. I weigh 260 and I wear a size 24. How the hell are they ever going to forget me? And, um, or, but two minutes after I did that, I couldn't cross the street because I had such low self-esteem. Because you were all sitting behind your steering wheels at the traffic light looking at me. Going, look at that fat cow. Or look at that skinny person. It didn't matter where I was. It was my image of myself.
It was a living hell. And, you know, I lied. You know, lied. Like, I would, I would gain, I'd be like a size six in July. I mean, I changed physical appearances so quickly, it scared me. I'd have to, like, do a double take in the mirror with myself. I'd be a size six white leather bikini. Talk about exhibitionism out there in the Will Rogers State Park. I mean, beach out there. I lived here for 32 years. I just moved a year ago. And in July, and the following Christmas, I'd be in a size 24 black velvet mumu. I just gained 120 pounds in like six months. And people used to say to me, Jeannie, what happened? What is the matter with you? Like, like, they, like, they looked at me like I was mentally ill. Well, we are, aren't we? It says it in our book, it's a mental disease. And I would look at them and I'd say, don't you know that God blessed so-and-so president of whatever? I didn't even know who it was. But everything was my business. I was judge and jury of everything. I was a professional protester. I'd be marching in some third world country, and my own apartment was a pigsty. You know, I see them on TV now. I just like, I just want to turn the TV on and say, shut up and go, go clean your apartment, you know? And, uh, you know, I just could not mind my own business. Everything, because I was too busy, I didn't want to look at myself. And I was minding, always minding your business. And it was, and I wasn't very nice, as I just said. So, that's, that's the progression of the emotional disease. It, it all gets worse. The eating increased for me and my negativity increased. I was judge and jury of everything. Nothing got by me. Nothing. Nothing. And if I didn't know something, I made it up. I lied. And you know what? You believed it because I was a good liar too. And I'd be like judging you like, did that girl look in the mirror today? Those accessories do not go with that pantsuit. I mean, you know, just always trying to feel superior, you know, judging your hair, judging, you know, and I was the, one of the pioneers of road rage. This was, you know, 15 years ago before they carried guns. And I was like one of the inventors of road rage. I mean, I'm, I'm sure of it. I mean, I used to follow gang members, me. I used to follow gang members off the freeway down to South Central. Because I had to win. It was kamikaze driving. Did you ever hear the term? I would rather kill myself and win than have them win. And so I won always. There's a language of road rage. I don't think it exists anymore. It's a road rage, road rage language that you give, give a sign when you win. You know, and the other, other person relinquishes the victory. And so then these guys, caught, so I won. And so these guys caught up with me at the next light. This happened more than once. And it's a whole carload of gang members. And they're looking at me like, it's a white woman. Who? I can't believe that devil is behind that wheel. They could not believe it was a white woman driving like that. I mean, I was so out of my character. And then I would, like, park the truck after I won. You know how you get that relief that you won. And then I'd go into my office and I'd be, you know, Miss Businessman. Good afternoon, Mr. Client. And how are you today? Just like total flip-flop from rage to this syrupy, saccharine, you know, unreal personality. Because I was psycho queen. Because I was eating or I was not eating. And, you know, the end just started, the wheel started to come off. You heard that term. It started to unravel. I started to not pay bills. I'm a chief procrastinator, even though I had money. I never, I never did not have money. I never didn't pay the bills, um, didn't open the envelopes, got, like, cut-off notices, third warnings. Just didn't do it because, you know, I just I want to be terminally vague. You heard the term. I just don't want to know what's going on. I was getting, you know, unkinder at work. And, you know what, the weight was not coming off like it used to. And something terrible. Oh, I want to tell you one more story about changing appearance. I had friends coming through LAX, and they said, Jeannie, come on out to L.A. We're going to Tokyo. We have a two-hour layover. Come on. They haven't seen me in six months, right? They go, come on out and have a couple drinks. We're going to go out to Tokyo and live in Japan for a few days or something for a few months and have a drink before we leave. And I said, well, you, you know what I did in the previous six months since they saw me, don't you? I gained 80 pounds. And I had to make one excuse, one excuse after another. My life and my figure and my self-esteem robbed me of so much life. 
It robbed me of so many events that I could have attended. But even when I was thin, I was so wrapped up in what people thought of me. Sometimes I did not go when I was thin. And I would say to these people, oh, I can't go to L.A. My house just burned down. My mother has terminal cancer, and I, I broke my leg. I mean, just unbelievable, extravagant, wild, extreme excuses because I've gotten fat since they've last seen me. It was horrible. So what a life, huh? And it was terrible. And I, mean, I, I got to know the pizza man delivery by, by his first name. He came to my house so many times. My idea was a vacation, was unplug the phone, draw the drapes, disconnect the phone, get the videos, and hoard the pizza in. That guy came to my house so many times one year, I felt like I had to give him a Christmas gift. I, you know, I got to know him, like, so often. His kids, his pets. I mean, you know, I, come on in, have a piece, what do you want, you know? Ice cream. But, you know, that was it. I just had to be... I, I went out. I, w- I had to go for the coma. I had to coat the nerves, as we say. I had to coat the nerves because I wanted to get out of the moment. I had to leave. I could, not, I could not be right here, right now, in the moment. I could be out next year, and I could be way back there and judging you, but I could not be in the moment. I could not be here today, right now. I had to get out of, as my friend says, right here, right now. I had to get out of here. I couldn't take it. And food helped me go. It helped me travel. You know, pancreas gets overworked on refined sugar, and I would pass out. My idea was a vacation was to Friday night go and get all my fantasy foods at an apartment down there on 5th of Montana and jump in bed with all my friends, sugar salt, sugar salt, go in and out of comas all week, hardly ever leave the bed, hardly like, you know, the Marilyn Monroe, hardly ever leave the bed, just in there all weekend with my buddies. Wake up, the movie was long over, rewind to try to watch it again, binge. A couple of times I took the food to the dumpster behind my apartment building in those days, promising, sound familiar, promising I will never do that again. Starting tomorrow, I will never, well, guess what I was doing at 3 in the morning with a flashlight? Butt up in the air, flannel nightgown, <coughs> Tube socks in the dumpster looking for the food that I had just carefully wrapped a few hours before because I knew I was going to go get it. This was before the homeless, so it was still there. And um, now, you, now, you don't, now you don't have a chance. You know, to jump on it. So awful life, huh? And so I didn't run out of money, but what happened was the food quit working. It quit working. The food was getting bigger and the highs were getting shorter. It wasn't doing its job anymore. And I would order extravagant takeout. And I'd go through like five drive throughs from my apartment to Lincoln to 7th. And I'd have that whole passenger seat just stacked with to-go's, you know, the styrofoam containers. And I'd, get that stroller out of the crosswalk. Get that kid out of here. My pizza's getting cold. You know, I'm trying to kill people. And I would run home hoping that that would do the trick. It didn't. And I'd wake up remorseful. And I'd hate myself. And, you know, starting tomorrow. So you're current. That's how it was. And so what happened in June of 89? Why did I come in here then? I was out of ideas. There was no one here that could ever help me on the planet. We read it. We just read it. Marie just read it. You know, nobody on, you know, A, God couldn't would if he were sought. Because nobody on this planet could ever help me. I was tired of going to these little Weight Watcher places, little 16-year-old girls in white lab coats telling me how to eat. I was twice their age, you know. And I'd buy all the food. I'd buy two weeks' supply of food, and I'd eat it in one day. I had nothing to eat. You know, that was pre-rice cakes, too. I had nothing to eat for two weeks. I just ate all my food in one night. So, you know, I had to go. Did you ever get suicidal? I did a lot. Because I could not face life. I could not face life without my best friend, my buddy, food, my oxygen, my nerve coders. And I couldn't face life with it because it was killing me, killing me. More than fat, I was just, just I could not go on. It, was, it owned me. It says in our literature, when you get to, get to know our literature, it became my master. It was the rapacious creditor that knocked on my door. 
every morning when I woke up. Get up, get out. You're going to be eating today. We don't care what you have in your mind as your plans for your life. You will be eating today. It became my master. Get up, get dressed. Get down to the 7-Eleven, 7th and Wilshire. Rainy, cold, bad neighborhood, tough cookies. Get up. I own you. You're going to be eating today. I don't care about your plans in life. Get up. It was my master. It was my rapacious creditor. It owned me. And I had to go because I had no way to break it. I knew of nothing on this planet that could ever overcome that. I, I, was out of, I was out of weapons, out of ideas. So I planned my suicide. Bought a cemetery plot in Pennsylvania where I grew up, a beautiful country cemetery. Wrote this unbelievable, grandiose eulogy. You know, sketch my tombstone, black marble from Africa. You know, very grandiose. You know, I was going to put like a video on the tombstone, push a button, and I would talk to you. And, you know, <laughs> what is so funny about that? And I, I think, I think now you can do that, actually. But um, in those days, I was like way ahead of my time. I should have went to work for Rand Corporation. Think tanks, but um, futuristic. But um, so what happened in June of 89, someone told me about Overeaters Anonymous. And you know what? Few people know this. I don't even think Roy, my buddy, knows this, or Sandy, or Atusa. I came to OA like 16 years ago, and I left. Because I laughed, because I was this hotshot businesswoman. I was 260 now, don't forget that, size 24. And I saw all these little mealy-mouthed people talking about God, and I went. Listen to the, listen to the ir- irony of this statement. I said, those pathetic creatures, they must, ha- they must have an awful void in their life if they need God. I don't. And then I went home and binged. I mean, talk about... Okay, so, so then I came back, of course, 13 years ago because I wasn't my saddest. But you know what? I was my craziest because it advanced in the other stages. This is for the newcomers. This is a threefold disease. It's not just physical. It's physical, emotional, and spiritual. And the, the emotional and the spiritual just hit bottom. They say, if you don't remember your last binge, you haven't had it yet. I remember mine very well, very well, my last binge. And then also, it says there's a bottom below the bottom you know. Mm, and I almost hit it last October, which I want to tell you about, too, before I close. So I came here in June of 89 and dying. I don't want to get skitty for a wedding, a party, dinner at the White House, cruise in the Mediterranean. Mm-mm. I was dying. I hated myself. I hated myself, and I was crying, and I grabbed a sponsor. Get a sponsor. Newcomers, it's crucial. Anybody sitting here tonight who does not have a sponsor is wasting their time because I have a distorted mind, and my distorted mind cannot read that literature properly like a sponsor can help me unwind it and interpret it because I'll take that literature and read it any way I want to. So please get a sponsor after you try a few meetings and see if this is for, for you because I do want to quickly say before I move on with that, Overeaters Anonymous It's not a college degree. It's not a college course. It's not an endurance contest. It's not something I come here and learn. It is a way of life. It's a way of life. I will be here, I hope, until you bury me. I love the way of life it has given me. I cannot live without it anymore. But it's not a college course, so I get in, get out, and, you know, come late to a meeting. It's the fellowship. Come in here and mingle, rub shoulders with somebody that's just just like me, who knows the agony and the ecstasies of overeating. It's the fellowship in here that's more... Because I hear more God in an OA meeting through other people, more spiritual talk. You know, they say God talks through people than I ever heard in any church. And I love all churches. But I hear more God in these rooms than I do ever in a, ch- in a church ceremony, a religious ceremony. So, so coming in here, I got a sponsor. I went to, uh, so that's what it was like. So what happened, I came, to an, I came with my butt kicked in June of 89 because I was out of ideas. But, you know, I was going to kill myself, but I did not, obviously, right? You know, the worst thing about that is I didn't have, I didn't want to live, but I could, didn't have the guts to die. That's, a, that's limbo. That's a bad place to be in. 
And even now, you know, I fear like a relapse. I'm not worried about dying from compulsive overeating. Mm -mm. I'm worried about going back out there living in it because I will not have the guts to check out. It'll be awful living in compulsive overeating and not being able to get out. That's my big worry. I mean, you know, it, it bothers me. So I came in here, got a sponsor, went to about 90 meetings in 90 days. That's not necessary, but it helped me a little kickstart. And I started hanging around with the people who had what I wanted. And let me tell you what it is in me from my experience. Now, this is not my opinion. It's my experience. People who have what I want are they have balanced lives. They are healthy body weight. They're not 63 pounds. They're healthy body weight. They have balanced lives. You know, and, you know, they have shortcomings like me, but I mean, it's, they're, they're normal. They just, and they don't go to 73 meetings a week, but enough, enough to keep going. It's a way of life. I have to be reminded because I have amnesia. And that's what I wanted. I did not want to be skinny. I wanted to be free from myself, my sick mind, my sick self-centered thoughts. I wanted to be free of the obsession to eat. And I was amazed to sit beside people in program, and these are usually the people that practice the program with a big book. Big book, big book. And we call them big book thumpers. And they, not only did they not eat when they had a tragedy, motorcycle accident, house burned down, wife died, they didn't want to. That astounded me. They didn't want to? I wanted that. I wanted the freedom of choice. I don't think I'm going to eat today. I mean, that, that didn't occur to me in 25 years. I have no choice. I told you that. The master used to get up. You're eating today. And I didn't have the choice to say, up yours, buddy. I found something bigger than you. But now now I do. But so I came in, got a sponsor, went to all these meetings, got the literature, and jumped on the steps. And you know what happened? Here's, here's the food, and here, and here was the steps. The steps got bigger, and the food got smaller. And that's exactly what happened. Because when I am working the steps full out, food is almost irrelevant to me. I said irrelevant to me, almost irrelevant to me. And, you know, I've been doing that every day since July 28, 1989, a day at a time. I haven't, I don't want to go into it now. Maybe I will during the question and answer session. Tell you my daily routine. I have a daily routine. My meals are three meals a day, nothing in between. I open them up. They're like the Olympics. I have the opening ceremony and the closing ceremony. <laughs> because towards the end of my binging, I had 16-hour meals. I used to reach out of the shower and eat. I, my meals had no ending. You know what they say? The miracle about OA is not that we eat three times a day. The miracle is that we stop eating three times a day. That's my miracle. And um, so now let me tell you about last October quickly because it is about the food. I, I'm thin. I've looked like this for almost 13 years. Can you imagine former size 24, 260? And so my mother last year gave me a piece of sheet cake. Now, not the $65 piece of sheet cake you get at a Beverly Hills Bakery, Michelle Richard's, the cheapo out of the box that she made for me as a child a hundred times. And I said, I have, I forgot step one. I said, I have power over that. Let me have this piece the size of the palm of your hand, and I will just get back to my food plan tomorrow. That's what I said. I took it. And my mother's getting old. All this crap came in three nanoseconds. She's getting old. I might not see her alive again. She baked a cake for me, and I'm going to have a piece. Right? It just... Suddenly, that suddenly moment, suddenly it's okay. I took it. I was off and running for six days. It kidnapped me. It hijacked me, that one piece of sheet cake. I forgot that I was powerless over that. I'm powerless over obvious sugar. I forgot. It hijacked me for the next six days. I ate like a machine for six days. I set the alarm early to get up to eat. 
This is only last October, and I was scared. On day five, I was scared. I said, this is it. I'm out of here, size 24, 300 pounds. I'm going to be an Oprah. They're going to cut out the size side of a house for me to get me out. And um, on day seven, I came back to my home, which is now currently northern Michigan, and I called my sponsor, and I, I laughed it off because at that time, my, my food indiscretions were rather unimportant trivial, right? This is what I thought. And she goes, you know, it sounds to me like you lost your absence. I think you better start your time over. Me, Jeannie, walk on water. But you know what? I did. I did because now it's like no obvious sugar, and it made me not go, you know what, let me just have it now and I'll take care of it later. I don't do that anymore. I haven't done that since last October. I don't do that anymore. And I am powerless over anything shoved in my face is not on my food plan. And by the way, everything in the world is on my food plan except obvious sugar and binging. But I prefer to have a lot of foods. I prefer to not have a lot of foods that I could, like white flour. I prefer to not have it. I mean, that word was never in my food language, prefer. I never. I prefer now to have to eat cleanly, three meals a day, and I'm so glad because I asked my sponsor this. How can I say I've been in here almost 13 years and maintaining 120 pound weight loss, but I only have seven months of abstinence? And then she told me how to how to tell it. I, you know, I started my food time over. I only have seven months of physical abstinence, but 120 pounds of being here, which is good. I mean, I'm sure there's more than me like this in this program, but I want to be a clear representative of the fact that. You know, everybody has clay feet. We're all human, and we can start over the next day, and mistakes can be made. No one, like, gets it and graduates and sails out of here, including water walkers and big book thumpers. So I kind of want to wind up and maybe take any questions. So that's what I've been doing for the last 13 years except last October, a daily routine. And I got married four years ago to a great guy who has no idea what this disease is about. I said, well, I'll tell you what. It keeps me thin and it keeps me peaceful. Do you want that in a wife? What do you think his answer was? He goes, go, go. And um, so he doesn't understand it. And um, people say, Jeannie, you've been thin for over 12 years. You have the hang of it. Quit what the hell you're ever doing. Non-OAers say that. And I go, you know what? They go, you, you'll level out at 180. I'm like 134 right now. You'll level out at 180. That is not in my vocabulary. Level out is not in my vocabulary. I am like that poor guy. He's dead so I can say his name. Walter Hudson, big big black guy. They had to cut the side of the house out of. I have no level out. I am circus woman. I'm a circus woman. I'm 350, and a woman today standing in front of you, but I've arrested the disease. Because I want to tell the newcomers, this is a spiritual program. It's not religious. It's spiritual. Much different than, than all the religions put together, although I do love all the religions. And so I've been doing that. And, you know, my life is wonderful. And lastly, this program is different than all the stuff I ever paid for with all the hundreds of thousands of dollars I pissed away. And you know what it is? It's an inside job. I was so busy changing my outsides, my insides never changed. No wonder I always went back to 260. This is an inside job. This is what makes us different than the other programs out there that promise big results. Because when my insides are taken care of and straightened out to the 12 steps, the outsides take care of themselves. The desire to compulsively overeat diminishes. And that's what I've been doing every day. Now, I'm not saying that, and, and that I am obsession-free over 95% of the time. It does return occasionally, but I know what to do. If I'm doing today, what, like, like when Roy, I told Roy two months ago, I was coming here three months, I said to myself, if I do every day what I've been doing, I'll be absent by May 25th. Yeah, I'll come and speak for you. Sure. Because I had planned on doing that daily routine. And sure enough, here I am. So I'm going to close with that because I want to, uh, any, do you have any questions? Because someone said I could take questions before. Thank you so much. Sarah.
Airplane food. That's a good question. I well, you know, I treat myself, and I tell my sponsor reasons. I treat myself. How do I travel abroad? That's the question with my food or domestically. I look at where am I going to be, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, on a plane, in a car. And sometimes I do pack food. I don't like the airplane food. And um, I tell my sponsorees, I want you to treat yourself as if you're your own special guest. If, if I was a guest in your home, you would, make that I had meal, you would make sure that I had meals provided, wouldn't you? You'd be a very good hostess. So be a good hostess to yourself. Where are you going to be? Don't get caught out in the Gobi Desert at 2 in the afternoon without lunch. There is absolutely no excuse for anybody in the United States to be not abstinent. There isn't. There's a 7-Eleven on every corner, and I can put a, I can put an abstinent dinner together at a 7-Eleven in 10 minutes, and I do that. I mean, I do pack things in my suitcase for emergencies, but, you know, there's five hours between each meal. I don't, I don't have that many emergencies anymore. I used to find, interestingly enough, before program when I traveled, I used to find every excuse to, like, eat inappropriately. Oh, I'm going to eat for seven hours. Let's eat now. Then we'd, get, we'd land in four hours. Well, okay, I was wrong. Let's eat again. You know, I mean, I was just... <laughs> But um, so I take, I treat myself as if I'm, I'm my own special guest, and I do sometimes pack food or I plan. And every day, I, um, speaking of food, I premeditate my meals every day. Where am I going to be? What am I going to think I'm going to be having generally in the in the food group area? I'm not a carrot counter, but my one rule is breakfast food for breakfast, lunch food for lunch, dinner food for dinner. That sounds hard. That sounds easy. Sometimes it's not. That means no pizza for breakfast. That's not a breakfast food, and no cereal for dinner because that's not a dinner food. But you know. I hope that answers your question. Yes, ma'am. Um, your daily routine? <laughs> daily routine. I love being asked that. I, I've been doing that now every day. I slip off the bed before I even go to the bathroom. Oh, I wake up. Eyes pop open because a cat is licking my face. You know, he's ready to eat. I say the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer. Whether I mean it or not, I still say it. Because it reminds me of one thing for the day. Not that I'm thin, great, rich, handsome, poor, married to a guy, great guy, job. One, one thought for the day. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I have a tendency to distort my perception of life. And what does that mean to me? I will overeat at the slightest provocation. That's it. I must keep that definition in my head. I'm a compulsive overeater. So the seventh step and the third step remind me before I get out of bed, I'm a compulsive overeater. Nothing else matters. I slip out of bed. I say the first three steps to myself. Then on page 86 of the big book, which you will find out when you get into that literature, there's, it says, um, upon awakening, we review our day. What do we do? What's going to be happening? All the bad stuff. Now, these think it takes a long time. It's not. What am I going to do today? Clients coming in. Oh, God. <laughs> Please help me. All my character defects are going to come out. Usually fear. Always fear. Then I get up, read a meditation book. Only one, because I can't remember every one. Just one. I change. Then I, call, I get calls from my sponsorees. Or if I'm not call, get calling from my sponsorees, I make sure that I make two calls a day program calls. Then I have my plant, premeditate my meals. And, of course, the, you know, the opening prayer on my meal is for my, my, my Olympic ceremonies. <clears throat> Please, God, let this be enough. That's a quick prayer, especially when you're hungry. And then, <clears throat> after I, and then I, and I look at the plate. And if it's not enough, I better make sure it's enough. And if it's too much, I better just get I have to look at the, like Picasso. I have to do it or Michelangelo. I have to judge my portions because I'm a volume addict also. You know, fried chicken does not mean 30 pounds. It means, you know, a portion for my height. And then when the meal is over and I take the last bite, no more. I say, thank you, God, the meal is over. End of story. Something falls on the floor too bad. So that's it. (laughs) Then then what I do is I do a written tense. I go to a meeting, make the contacts, and then I do a written tense step every night. Can you believe that? It's It's not a novel. I just put the pen to the paper every night to remind myself when I go to bed I'm a compulsive overeater. And page 86 again, it says, upon retiring, we review our day. 
Was I witchy? Did I lie? Do I owe somebody an amends? And, you know, it keeps me current. A ten step is misinterpreted as a problem solver. It's not. It keeps me current with me and my unresolved problems. It doesn't mean that I have to solve everything that's wrong in my life by the, day, by the time I shut off the lights. It means I am current with them. And that's what used to make me eat. Not only did I not face my problems, I thought I had to solve them all. Hmm. Life is an unresolved problem. When am I going to die? I don't know. That's a problem. I don't, I, I don't know. You know, when's the world going to come to an end? That, that's a big problem. But a tenth step keeps me current. Do I owe you an amends? Should I be more courteous? Should I be less short? It's just, it's just, I just get to stay current with me. It's a wonderful tool. Then I go to sleep and I start the next day all over again. And that keeps me abstinent. Yes, Sandy? I know you talked about it a little bit. Um, so you had six days back into the insanity. Yeah. What was it that got you to surrender again? God, you know, <clears throat> that is a good question. I cannot explain that. It's like riding a bike. You ever have someone teach you to ride a two-wheel bike? You just you put them on the bike and you push them, but you can't explain the balance. You just can't. It's something you have to come up with. I was just, like, so scared. Well, I will tell you what helped me. A lot of your faces were in my, my mind. You have photographs of you everywhere. And this is what I want to, want to press upon the newcomer. This is a fellowship. It's a community. We care about you. Get a home meeting, a meeting that you show up every week. And if you're not there, people come and hunt you down because that's your family. Those are your people, your people, your God squad. And, you know, I saw all of you, and I thought, how can I, I, I can't go on. And I started praying real hard, Sandy. Please help me stop. I, I, have, I have to answer to Sandy, Atusa, Sarah, Michelle, you know, Roy, Gemma, you know, Walter, everybody in here, you know, Gabriel, Nona. I mean, I had to answer to all of you when I came back to L.A. How could I come back here and, like, just disregard everything I ever learned? And so I got, I was very frightened I was never going to get back on the train. I was very scared. Because, you know, when you get hijacked, you just can't get off. You know, handcuffs, everything, you're gone. And, um, and I prayed and prayed and surrendered. And I just, please, I did the, oh, please, the best prayer in the world. Please help me, God. I, I want to follow you. And my, by the, a God of my, uh, God of my understanding, Mike, in case you're wondering about that. It might not be the God from a church, but we all have our own personal higher power images. And you know what? Woke up the next morning, I... Lost it. Had no desire to eat, like eating those doorknobs today. Oh, started over. And I think that's, that's pretty much was it. And, you know, that's why I want to impress. The community is so important. It's not coming in late, sitting, pitching, and leaving early. It's mingling. You don't have to marry each other, but, you know, keep in touch. Yes, ma'am. Good question. What is obvious sugar versus non, non-obvious sugar? Obvious sugar to me is obvious sugar. Cakes, pies, candy bars, fudge, anything in the confectionery department. And non-obvious sugar would be like, you know, white bread has like sugar number five down on the label. Well, if I'm out at an Italian restaurant, I'm going to have a piece. I don't have it a lot, but I will have it. Or today, um, I had bread and I'm sure it had sugar in it somewhere. But I'm talking like overt sugar where you just like plug it into your veins and you know, three, three days later I get homicidal. And I, and I avoid it really well in social situations. I go, you know, I, I have a refined sugar uh, allergy. I just, I, I have a dead husband. If I had one bite of that cake, I can't even have it. True. Yes, Gabriel, one more I think, right? Thank you, Roy. Does your current absence feel any less secure than previous? How they different? Great question. Does my current abstinence feel any different than my previous, like, 12 years? It's tighter and better because I was getting lax. I was getting lax. Now I'm vigilant. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm not in pain. I'm eating less than what I, I have in a long time. As a matter of fact, people, some people say I'm thinner than when I was here in February. But, I mean, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not even noticing losing weight. Now, that's a miracle for an eating machine. You're losing weight and you're not noticing it. But um, it's, I'm more alert. I'm happier with it. And I, I'm more alert of all my bites. I'm not counting the, of what I'm eating. And it's more secure now. I don't feel deprived, which is the great thing about OA. I want to eat exactly what I'm eating today. And I'm happy with it. If I live till I'm 85 or 87, I will be so happy with what I'm going to eat today that I'll want to eat it for the rest of my life. You know, abstinence is this. It is not something that I am waiting to get over with so I can go back to my regular eating. Mm-mm. I tell my sponsorees, I want you to have the food today that you can live with until you're 85. Sensible food. And it's a wonderful, I'm free, I'm free from prison. Because towards the end of my 12 years, like last October, now see, I moved geographically and my heart was ripped out of my rib cage because I missed everybody here, all my strong buddies. I'm sure that's contributed to my lackadaisicalness in my food. I'm out in the woods in northern Michigan. OA was very weak. I was lonely, beating up my husband verbally for dragging me there, although he did not do that. And a couple of times I'd be lax on my food, like, yeah, I'll start it tomorrow. Now, if I'm coming to a meeting in Brentwood like twice a week, I would not be thinking like that or acting like that. I'd be heads up. Because now I am responsible. One of our prayers says that. I am responsible to carry the message like I got in June of 89. You know, I want to give one person tonight what I got, which was hope. Hope. So I hope you got hope, because if you didn't, I sure did. Anyway, thank you so much. Time's up.